Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. This is a very exciting day for me because my dear, dear friend, I'm going to start crying, Sophie, my soccer co-captain in high school, yes, almost 30 years ago, is here with us today, not to talk about me and not to talk about soccer, but she's here because she is an incredible family law attorney who has both a JD and an MSW from Loyola University, Chicago. She is one of the most tenacious, determined, hardworking, and empathetic people I know. And we get so many questions from listeners who are navigating divorce, blended families, custody arrangements, and all of the ways that kids in puberty and adolescence are affected by and affect the decisions that get made by caregivers, parents, attorneys, therapists, and so on and so forth. So we brought Sophie on, Sophie Jacoby Parisi. When I knew her first, she was just Sophie Jacoby, to talk about all of this incredibly important decision-making and navigating that gets done by lots of important adults in kids' lives. So Sophie, Welcome. We're so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here, Vanessa and Cara. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I feel like I'm crashing your high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cara, trust me. If you were crashing our high school reunion, there'd be a lot of other things going on. <laughs> and who would have thought so that 30 years ago when we were running around the soccer field that we would be sitting here recording a podcast, which didn't even exist at the time. That's totally surreal. I definitely didn't want to be a lawyer then either, which is so funny. That's a yes, different podcast. and I did. So there you go. <laughs> and that as teenagers, who would have thought we'd be talking about how to care for teenagers and how to like look out for them in the millions of ways that we need to look out for them. Cara, I want to start, if you are comfortable, with you sharing your unique perspective on this conversation as someone who lived this as a teen. Yes, this being 
having divorced parents, not this being playing not soccer this, in high school. Not, <laughs> not that Sophie Vanessa Love Fest. Now you get to yes. experience the Sophie Vanessa Love Fest, but originally it was a teen with a divorced parents. Yeah. So Sophie, Vanessa is so excited that you're here because of the whole high school nostalgia piece of it. And I'm so excited that you're here because of the whole divorce information piece of it. So yes, my parents split up three weeks before my 14th birthday, right at the heart of adolescence. I know it was three weeks before my 14th birthday because it was on my mom's 40th birthday. Um, so two, two and a half weeks. And they tried to reconcile on my 14th birthday. That was the first time that they kind of made a show. That was kind of a first and last situation. That was also listeners of this podcast well know my 14th birthday is also the night that Shirley MacLaine won her Oscar for Terms of Endearment at the precise moment that I got my period for the first time. You could see a lot was happening for me, Sophie, that moment that my parents were splitting and trying again and splitting. And my journey through a I don't want to call it a broken home. I mean, it's just through divorced parents was very rocky. It was not conscious uncoupling uh, as it's known now. It was very, there was a lot of heartbreak and therefore there was a lot of anger and there were a lot of your people, lawyers, and there was a lot of chaos. We are four kids in my family. And ultimately I lived with my mom. My little brother lived with my mom and my two older brothers went to live with my dad. So I am a, you can, I'm going to ask me anything right now about that experience, which is probably um, not unique and singular, but is a little more detailed or we could go broad, but is, you know, I'm wondering as we toe into this conversation, if, if there's anything that you want to talk about with me in a way that you would talk to other people, maybe to help steer conversations around divorce and adolescence. Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, so my job, I represent parents. I want to be clear about sort of where I'm coming from. So I've, I've represented parents for almost 20 years in family law cases, not just divorces. There are plenty of people who don't get married and have children, and those people have custody cases. Before I went into private practice, I did represent children in some custody cases and abuse and neglect cases. So I have some of that experience, although I was such a baby lawyer, it's hard to look back now and think about how I did that. But so I represent parents who are going through a divorce or custody proceeding either in the beginning or sometimes even afterwards. So sometimes I'll see people who resolve their case and then custody got kind of messy for whatever reason. And then they now they need really lawyers or we're in court. Uh, and we can talk about the difference of that if you want to. But Car, one of the things that I do, which to my husband's dismay, is at parties or at, you know, at a certain events, if I meet people, they'll say, oh, my parents were divorced. Like if someone asks me what I do, a lot of times they'll say that. And so then I'll say, can I ask some divorce questions? <laughs> and I always like to know, you know, first of all, how were you told? Was it together? Did it seem planned? Was there a discussion about how much they loved you and that this wasn't about you? That's question one. Question two is, you know, where did you live? What was the schedule? And did you like it? If you didn't like it, could you tell your parents and then make it, did a change happen? Those are the things that are interesting to me. Um, so I'd love to hear those from you. Yeah. I mean, first of all, when we were told, which was actually on an airplane, it was my mom's 40th birthday and we were all going on a family trip and my dad opted out at the last minute. And this was a, sort of a pattern that he would kind of opt out from the beginning of vacations. And so we all get on the plane and my mom said to all of us, okay, I, I need to tell you what's about to happen. You know, I decided if your dad didn't come this time, that it was time for me to file for separation. So I have three brothers three of us in three years, and then one who is nine years younger. And the three of us who are older looked at each other and high-fived each other. Oh. And I, I think it's a really important piece of the story. Our parents were not happily married. 
we did not want them to be together anymore because they did not want to be together anymore. And it was a total and utter relief to us. Now, the path beyond that through the separation and divorce was not smooth. And, you know, I would absolutely go back and rewrite it a million different ways, as would my mom, for sure. But at that time, we did not need to hear that we were loved. Honestly, we just needed to hear that they were going to live in separate places because it wasn't working for them to live under the same roof anymore. And when I talk about this with kids of divorce, I hear that story not infrequently. I think that, you know, I don't know that it's the majority, but I'd say some large number of kids were also pretty darn relieved when their parents decided they could stop being married. I think it's so interesting to hear because for most people who come to me, they don't believe their children are as impacted as they are in the conflict, even if it's low level, because, you know, all of the research shows that if you can keep your divorce low conflict, meaning that everything's not in court, everything's not aired, it's still hard. It's still emotional, no matter what, to sit across the the table from someone and and say, I want this and you want that. And I don't agree. And I did this and you, it's emotional, even short marriages. So I, I never think it can be a total kumbaya. It just, it's hard. Everyone should acknowledge that. It's hard. It's hard. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. It wasn't that we weren't sad. We were sad. And as we got older, Each of us in our own way has struggled with defining what a loving relationship looks like as a result of what we saw. So there are long lasting impacts. The tale is super long, but I agree with you that it's not just about that moment of telling. It's also the whole experience through divorce and keeping the temperature down. It's like everything else in parenting. How do you let cooler heads prevail with divorce? My experience, my N of one, is that cooler heads were not around most of the time in the beginning, that it gets very hot very fast. It's very hard. I mean, it's very hard as grownups to do it, to keep your heads cool. So, I mean, that's always what we tell people is if if we can bring it down, let's get some mental health people in right away. Uh, So we're not telling the kids on an airplane, you know, (laughs) and not alone. Yeah, for example. But I think that so many people come to me and they say, well, my kids don't know that this is happening. And it's like, but they probably have some instincts and intuition. And, and you both know that kids pick up on so much more Everything. than they're ever going to say. And I don't know that so many people could high five their parents, you know, in front of their parents. <laughs> I love that. But I think that there are definitely kids who are relieved. There is a huge release that they know that the the toxicity that they've been living in isn't going to be, at least they're not going to be living in it anymore. That's I mean, right. So part of what I love about the fact that you do family laws, because you have both a social work degree and a law degree. And I think the emotional intelligence that needs to come into play with family law is so, so critical and the training that you have. And so one question I have is like, okay, we have a model for maybe not the best way to tell kids you're getting divorced or separated. Do you have like a a roadmap that you like to offer people on how to tell kids or kind of what setting or what things to have in place when you are letting kids know? Okay, this is such a lawyer answer, but it really is a case by case. That's okay. Car says that about everything. Everything (laughs) depends. Everything (laughs) depends. And, you know, people will say to me, I use this example and I got my, I got my brothers. Okay. to, To talk about it on this. So people will say to me, for example, well, what's the best schedule for kids? I have a three-year-old, I have a seven-year-old, I have a 15-year-old. What's the best schedule? I don't know what the best schedule is because I don't know your kid. So when one of my brothers got divorced, they didn't call me and ask me for any advice, which is hilarious. But they went on a alternating night schedule. So they had a two-year-old who was in daycare and they went and she they transitioned her back and forth every other night, which right, I thought it was completely insane. But they had a relationship that was low level, not a lot of conflict. They were flexible with one another and they had a two-year-old who could do it. 
And wow. over time, they've morphed, the schedules morphed, they it's grown, and they made changes. And you know, now she's much older, and they have a completely different schedule. And they both have very, very healthy relationships with her, with my niece. So I use that example. And I tell clients that because I don't know your kids. And I don't know what works for your family. So the same way when you're starting off this conversation, I usually first say, do you have a therapist? Does your child have a therapist? Or is there a family psychiatrist that's been involved in the family? Is there some mental health professional? Sometimes, Car, I say the pediatrician. Some people like love their pediatricians. I'll say, well, why don't you go to the trusted professional and that's right. have a conversation about how to do this? Okay, but can I ask a, a question that I've had for years and we actually get from time to time? Um, so I think I'm not alone with this. Yes, it. It's all very individual and it really depends on the situation. But that said, there was for a long time this trend of, I don't know what the title is, child-centered living where the kids stayed in the house and the parents traded back and forth. And I just would love both sort of your social worker answer and your lawyer answer to the practicalities of that and sort of pros and cons. Do you get asked about this? It's so interesting. Yeah, we get asked about everything, Sophie. Oh my God. Okay, so it's called nesting. Some people call it bird. Clients have like Googled it. It comes bird nesting. And the concept is that you have a home. It's the marital home and that the kids are going to stay there and the parents are going to have a schedule, whether it's an equal schedule or whatever, you know, that's a different fight. But whatever the schedule is, the parents are then going to have their separate residences. And when it's Parent A's time with the children, they live in the home and parent B lives in their studio apartment. Or sometimes they get their own studio apartment and they share it together. Yep. And you live that way. So when it's the kids, it's also the dog usually stays with the kids. Like there's a whole pet situation that happens also. So it's the parents who are making the moves and not the kids. So in theory, that sounds wonderful. Like let's keep the kids stabilized. So I'll give you my sort of mental health view on it first. My mental health view on it is that I don't think it's such a bad way to start a divorce. I think it can be a nice way to sort of extricate parents, bring the temperature down, let us lawyers try to figure out, or or if we have a mental health person who's working, try to figure out like what's going on. What is the roadmap to get to the end of this case? It's not horrible, but those parents have to have such trust in one another Mm -hmm. that they are not going to take advantage of being in the home, that they're not going to do things to the other person's property, that they're not going to put in recording devices, that if they're sharing the other home, that that person's not going to bring home people to sleep with at that place. Like there is so much trust that has to go into that conversation. And the financial implications of having all these residences. Right. Although I have never thought about that list of, I've thought about sort of raising a kid. We're so naive. We're so naive. (laughs) I'm like, what's the issue with the kid being the sun in the center of the solar system and everyone revolving around them? And is that, you know, is that net positive or net negative? And is the sort of back and forth for the kid and the reality of my parents live in separate homes and it's okay. Is that a grit builder and is that a better way? Like that's the lens I've thought. I've never really thought about cameras and having sex with other people in the same bed. Like that just never even crossed my mind. Or like, you know, if someone knows that their spouse really hates a certain cereal or something <laughs> that, that, you know, then they're, that's what they're doing. You know, you have to not have wow. any of that kind of dynamic. Yeah. And not everybody does, at least, you know, sometimes the beginning of a divorce is like when you're the most immature. hmm there are many points along a divorce where people can be maximally immature. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So the other part of it from a mental health view from the kids is that I think it also delays their reality, Car. So that's a little bit what you're saying. So let's say that you agree to nest for a period of time, you know, let's call it two years while this whole divorce is pending and there's financial issues and everything's getting worked out. And you as a parent have moved on, maybe you have a new relationship, you know, you've processed that this is happening and maybe both of you have, and you're both in a better place. Well, then you come time to have two homes and now the kids have to go back and forth. They have not processed this whole experience with you. So now you're way ahead of them. They don't understand how you're just like going on dates Mm -hmm. or how you're not, you know, 
yeah. uh, like I said, that they're not with you all the time. So I do think that there is sort of a mental health delay I, on that piece that, you know, that I think it's harder for the kids. The only exception, and I have had this, is when you have kids who are really special needs. Mm-hmm. So if you think about like, if you have a child who's in a wheelchair and you built your home around that wheelchair, you are not going to move that kid back and forth. If you have a child who's on severely on the autistic spectrum and they need a real routine, they need to know exactly where everyone's going to be and it would really impair them, maybe that's a good example, but almost never is a long-term solution. And how about Vanessa's question about finances? Because I would imagine that, you know, I mean, everyone knows the math of running two homes is more expensive than running one. So is there a situation where you've seen it work better because there is one stable family home and they the parents can afford a a small studio apartment somewhere that they can trade off being in and keep a larger family home that can accommodate more people? I mean, is there I mean that's definitely happening now. I mean, there was just an article about it last week that because of the real estate market, that people are just whether they want to nest or not, that's the only way they're kind of doing it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's like the, the whole de Blasio news that just came out, like that they're all gonna live in the same house together. Wait, I missed this. Is de Blasio getting divorced? Oh, well, Vanessa. They're, they're just separate. They're separating. It was a and they're slow news week, Vanessa. And I so was on vacation, okay? Some of us were avoiding all upsetting or interesting news and putting our feet up. Okay, I'll go back and find the New York Post article about that. Just kidding. That's not You definitely sense. need a lot of money to do it. You need, if you're really going to do it right, like this example of a of where you have a child who's vision impaired. And so the house has been built sort of around that you've made accommodations like that is a place where you say, okay, I really, it would be crazy to do this again. Right. So we're going to make a plan in order to do it in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Everyone, you've got three places, but most of the time people do a studio apartment and then they share it. And again, you go back to the whole trust aspect of that. What about a situation where there's been infidelity? So I'm going back to the like, how do you tell them what the initial days look like? If you have like a wronged party, I'm not talking about a low level amicable split. I'm talking about like a wronged party and the kids, right? Let's say you've got tweens and teens and they're like aware that shit is going down, right? You don't have a two-year-old who's kind of like unaware what do you do? Is there a benefit? Like, how do you decide what to tell and what not to tell? What do you share? Like, how do people figure that stuff out? You do not tell the children the reason for the divorce. Okay. You do not. Some of the kids, especially teens, are going to know. They're going to know either because they've been privy to some text messages that they saw on their parents' screen, you know, on their parents' iPhones or that were read aloud in a car on a text message. Oh my God. App. Yeah, those kinds of things. But you know what I tell clients is that ultimately it will be up to the kids when they are older to figure out whether they want to know what really happened. And it'll be up to the parents at that time. But when kids are 14, they cannot handle the reality of what the reason is for the split. It can be so damaging and can be so prejudicial to the parent who was in the wrong. And it could be that both parents were in the wrong. That's most likely what happened. These things don't happen in a vacuum. And so then it's like, well, your mom did this. And so I did that. And then no child should be put in the middle of that. So the discussion should usually be, we both love you. This is happening. It's going to be okay. We're going to be grownups. We're going to be as mature as we can. And we're going to get through this together and we're going to do our best by you. And that's it. And if the kids say, well, why is this happening? You know, this is a decision that your other parent and I have made together and it's for the best for everybody. I mean, it's not because I saw so-and-so doing such and such around the corner last night. Not that that hasn't happened because people get explosive and their emotions. I mean, obviously that happens and then you can't unring that bell. So ideally, you don't tell them the why. You just reassure them that you love them and that it's happening and that you're both there to 
take care of them and love them. And then it's going to be the grown-ups' decisions on how this works. And then you're going to do it in a way that's as amicable. I do want to throw one because if we're having this conversation, I want to be clear about something with respect to kids and certainly to adolescents. This is state by state. So not every state does this, but many, many states give children attorneys, either an attorney for the child, which in New York, that is actually the name attorney for the child, AFC, they're referred to. In Connecticut, they get GALs. In Florida, they get GALs, which is a guardian ad litem. There are nuances, of course, upon nuances with respect to when they get appointed, whether they two-year-olds get appointed one or 14-year-olds, it's really a, most of the time at the judge's discretion. But if you are in such a high conflict place where you are in court, your kids are going to have at least an attorney. And Cara, like in your family, you had a split, right? Two went to dad, two went to mom. And for some reason, that was the selection that I maybe was kids selected. So each of you would have had your own lawyers, or at least you and your youngest and your two oldest would have had your own lawyers because you were in conflict. So I'd like to go there for a second. Let me just start by saying I'm about to out my age. We're talking about 1984. So I think that law may have changed, even though I don't know. I don't. Maybe I did have a lawyer, like a secret lawyer I didn't know about, but I think it has probably evolved since then. But where I wanted to take the conversation was to your point of custody and how it gets settled. And when kids have choice. So we get this question a lot as well. And as a pediatrician, this comes up constantly, as you can imagine, because pediatricians are often asked to weigh in on the types of decisions and choices that parents make and the way that parents care for kids. And they can really get roped into very sticky situations when families split up. But sometimes what happens is a kid comes in and says, I don't want to be in a shared custody situation anymore. I only want to live with fill in the blank. And so I know how it evolved in my family, but I'm curious all these decades later how it works now. What are the laws? Is it state by state or is it federal? And at what age does a child have the right to make that decision? Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. 
Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Okay, so it's definitely not federal. The only thing that was federally driven is the child support guidelines, which is state by state, but the federal government many, many years ago wanted every state to have child support guidelines. It is state by state, and then it is also like county by county. It is judge by judge in some ways. So I do think that there are certain states that have set ages, like at, at age 13, 16, the child gets to decide. In New York, there's no law anywhere that says at a certain age, the child gets to make the decision, which people, you know, again, it's such a lawyer answer. Like, I don't know. It depends. In general, I have found that judges don't want to make rulings where they worry that a kid is not going to be somewhere. Right. So let's say the judge decides you're going to go to mom's for the Christmas holiday and the child really wants to be with dad. They may just get in an Uber and go to dad's. So then you're dealing with a different kind of problem. And judges usually just want to make sure kids are going to be safe. But at a certain level of conflict, you also have a lot of finger pointing. Well, mom says, child doesn't want to come to me for the, you know, the the holiday because you have poisoned them against me. You have aligned them in such a way with you against me. And I don't have the, I don't know the children. I never really know what's happening. I think sometimes that happens and I think sometimes it doesn't. And I think sometimes kids really just want to be with their friends. Mm-hmm. And if you have parents who are emotionally mature and who understand the kids' communities, right? So they know, if both parents know who the friends are, what bar mitzvah was going to be really important for them not to miss, what summer camp friends they want to see during the school year. It makes those conversations much easier. Right, but... We all know, including everyone listening, that the easy conversations tend to have the least conflict and all that. And and it's when the parents are not aligned. It's when the kid... So there are two scenarios that are jumping out my head as you speak. So one is the kid who wants to have fewer rules and restrictions Mm. and limits, who wants to be with the more permissive parent. And sometimes divorce brings out permissiveness that parents, you know, parents confuse parenting and friendship often enough. And I'm not saying this with judgment. I have been there. You know, it's hard to remember that you don't always 
want to prioritize having your kid like you and like the choice, the hard choices you're making. And that best friendship gets complicated and divorce further complicates it. So there's often a parent in there who wants to show up and be the fun parent. And usually that is also then the lenient parent. And then Often that is the home, certainly for a kid who's comfortable with more risk-taking, that is the home that is more desirable. There are fewer rules. It's more fun. And it becomes this vicious cycle, right? And so there's that's one scenario. And when the safety and well-being of a kid is top of mind for everyone, that is not always the safest place for a kid. That is not always the best place for a kid, even if a kid wants to be there more. If Uber had existed in 1984, that for sure would have changed a lot in terms of the way my risk-taking brothers would have behaved. They ended up living where they ended up living for a whole lot of reasons, but I bet Uber would have made it happen faster, right? Because they just would have showed up where they wanted to be. So Mm -hmm. I think to your point there, that's really interesting. The other place my brain goes in this conversation is not so much when it's kid-driven, where the kid wants to be. But when it's conflict-driven and that word poison that you use, it's just like that for me, the word poison and the concept of divorce are just braided together because there is this, this trope where often one adult in the situation truly believes that the other adult is poisoning the kids and is actively sort of rewriting, re-narrating the script for the kids, which may or may not be true. I mean, I'm sure it happens sometimes and I'm sure it doesn't happen other times, but but it puts the kids in this really tricky situation. And then when it comes to custody, sometimes the kids actually can see what the safer, better place is. And when they can, that's that's when my heart breaks. When they can see what's better and safer for them, And they don't want to be in the place that feels, and it's not physically unsafe, but it feels emotionally unsafe. It feels just right. So gosh, there's so much to dig through and you're an outsider helping sort it through and digging through and you don't even have to to live in the situation. This is the hardest part of my job for sure. And I say a lot that the court system is not the place to work these things out because it's adversarial. So that's that continues the finger pointing. If one person has access to more money, it can be exploitative in that way. And I would say, and this is not a knock on the judicial system, I think most judges really want to do right by kids, but they don't necessarily have any information or ability to access what you're calling like the mental health and the safety and wellness of a child in a certain home. Many judges across the country have the ability to order a forensic evaluation, a psychiatric evaluation, but, you know, those are snapshots in time. Those are usually everyone on their best behavior. And I think it's really hard to dig into where does this child feel emotionally, like the safety component of that is very hard to get out in a trial. Can I ask about, and this may not be an appropriate conversation to have, so tell me if it's not, but like, what if there are concerns about abuse? Like, what if there are concerns like emotional or physical safety? Are there ways to address that, right? Like you have a kid who really doesn't want to go live at that other parent's house. They don't want to split custody. They just want to be at one home. How do you figure that out? If someone comes to me, so, I mean, this happens a lot later, right? People, maybe people who resolve their whole case at a certain point in time, and then the child has evolved and things have evolved a little bit. Either we go back to court and it, and that will depend a lot on, you know, was the child represented last time? Did that case, did we think that everyone sort of understood what the sentiment was, what was happening in that family? Was there a forensic report? What did the report say? Who was the judge? Is that judge still there? Does everyone even still live in the same place, right? I mean, sometimes people move and then you start the whole thing anew. It's very, very hard. I always ask, do kids have therapists? Because that's who's going to report abuse. A parent-to-parent report on, on abuse, of course it happens. It has happened. That also can be weaponized. And judges are way on high alert that that can be weaponized. 
for better or worse. I'm not saying that they should be. There's a lot right now in the news about family reunification, this idea that if a child doesn't want to go to a parent's home, that they have to go live with that parent, and that, which feels very counterintuitive. And there's a whole set of mental health professionals who believe that that's the way to do it, to force a child to live in the house with the person that they don't want to live in, notwithstanding whatever issues that they say that they have. So it's so hard. I mean, these are the hardest questions I get. So I'm so glad I was here today. <laughs> You're here for like working. I no, I mean, I don't have I don't have great answers. And I think a lot of lawyers would say the same thing, that these are the hardest cases. We don't know the kids. We don't know what's going on. Sometimes attorneys for the children really get access. Like I remember a case I had where we were in the middle of a trial. The dad had testified, the forensic evaluator testified, the kid had been represented by an attorney and the judge said, you know what? I was a freshman in high school. She said to the attorney for the child, you're going to go and pick this kid up from school at the lunch break in court. And you're going to bring him right to me because something's not right. I feel like I'm not getting really what's going on. And the attorney for the child said, okay, but you know, he, he really, the child really doesn't talk to me that much. And the judge was like, okay, but go get him. So like, okay, that's what's happening. The child spent 90 minutes with the judge, chatted away. This was a judge who was also very competent to speak to children. Cause don't forget they're like lawyers. They don't have mental health professionals, you know, right. mental health backgrounds. They do. Some of them do, do a lot of training, but, um, the judge came out and she said, you have, this is how this case has to settle. And she settled the case. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, that was uncommon, sense. you know, that doesn't happen often, but in that, a situation like that, that child felt she, he let it all out. Now I will say as a child who has been in court before that the weight you feel as that child, because Someone was happy with that outcome. Some one of your adults was happy, and one of your adults was not happy. Chances are, and the reverberations, even though that's an incredible story, the reverberations last. So I think here's where I would love to land. We're not ready to land yet. You're not landing the plane. Yet. It's gonna. <laughs> it's gonna take a minute. Okay. <laughs> I would like for our listeners to be able to get some really concrete advice around very specific steps. So I'd love to talk very, very clearly and sort of how-to oriented for parents who are contemplating splitting up some best steps, some best practices for parents who have split up some best do-overs and for step parents, mm. that third and fourth or however many, whatever number you are, adult who's coming in, who's not a central actor, but you're a very central actor. See what I mean, Vanessa? It's going to take a minute. So maybe... And I'm going <laughs> to add an appendices love it. to the... Yes. So I would love to start with the parents who are thinking about splitting up. What advice do you have regardless of the specific situation, are there any kind of top line pieces of advice you can give? If you do these things, it tends to go better or things tend to work out with a little less chaos. Well, first I always ask, are you really ready to do this? Did you do marriage counseling? Do you feel like you've done, are you really there? Because if you're not there, don't start it. It is such a brutal process. You have to be steady and strong as strong as you can be. And you need to have your support system in place, whether that means close friends, a therapist, whoever it is in, in your world that is going to prop you up. You have to be ready. There are a set of financial things that I have people do in terms of planning. And that's not, and it's nothing surreptitious. It's like, when's the last time you looked at your tax returns? You know, do you know what you have? Your assets are your liabilities. What is your monthly burn rate for your expenses? How much does it cost to operate one kid? How much does it cost to operate another? Do we have any special needs? Are we paying out of pocket? Who is the health insurance? Who has that? Can they continue to have health insurance? Those are like sort of preliminary thoughts. In terms of going forward, 
if people are prepared to be open, parents, you can have a mental health professional or sometimes just like an attorney who's done this for a long time be kind of a mediator to help them. I hate to use the word navigate because I feel like it's so overused, but that is the best word to navigate this family through the initial phases. Are you guys going to immediately physically separate? If not, are you going to consider nesting? If you are going to consider nesting, what's the time frame around that going to be? Do we have any kids with special needs? Do we have any parents with any special needs? Because sometimes I have parents who come to me and say, you know, I had a mental health issue. I have a psychiatrist. I'm up on my medication. I'm very open about it, but I do have breaks. Sometimes I do have hard times or people who were in rehab and they say, well, I was in rehab, you know, five years ago and it's, I just want to be candid about it. And if the other person's not going to wield that stuff as a sword, then a case can sort of stay sort of calm, right? In the beginning, it's like, it's the cases that say, well, they're using again, they're right. off their medication, they're not safe with my kids. You know, those are the things. Where, so if you have those issues to talk about it in advance, how are we going to deal with them? And for the part B of this first question, for the for the of section one, clause <laughs> 13. Hey, we're talking to a lawyer, so <laughs> I, I feel like that's really appropriate. What about the parents who they are splitting because they really don't see eye to eye on so many things, including parenting? And so these questions that rational actor questions can't even be answered because there's just there's just so much internal disagreement. Do you have any suggestions for those parents about okay? I get it. You think cell phone, yes. I think cell phone, no. You think green vegetables, I think they should eat whatever they want. Like There are lots of families like this. What about them? What's one thing they can do? It's such a good question, Cara, because you talked about, I think at some point, like this whole unconscious uncoupling Mm -hmm. thing, which was the Gwyneth Paltrow idea. Like I really, as great as that sounds, like don't subscribe to that. You have to be Gwyneth Paltrow rich too unconsciously uncouple, right? Like where everyone's can travel and you can just like, or you do it Adele style, you know, Adele, she just bought her ex-husband the house across the street. And like, that's, you know, if you could do it Adele style, it makes (laughs) things easier, right? But most people can't. So sometimes in cases we'll say like, we'll write in an agreement that those things have to be decided at the same time. What age they have a social media account, what age they go in an Uber alone, what age they fly alone, what age, you know, they have a cell phone. Sometimes we'll put that in writing because people want to agree and they think they can. And sometimes we'll put in a mediator to help them down the road if that's an issue. But a lot of times people will say, we're never going to agree. The kid already has a cell phone. The kid already has a TikTok account. That concept is called parallel parenting which means that in my home, I'm going to do my things and my rules. I'm going to be really clear about that. And I'm not, I have to let it go. What happens in the other home is going to be what happens. So that comes up a lot. A huge question we get from couples, some of whom are split and some of whom are actually together is like, I want to teach my kid about safe sex and my, my ex-partner doesn't think it's appropriate to talk about it. Or like, you know, there's drug and alcohol use in the other house and it's not okay in my house. And like, so some of this is like about real complicated, I don't want to call it values-based because I think I have a very clear perspective on what should be, you know, discussed and handled. But like, can a custody agreement address some of these things? Like, or does it just become amorphous? Because if it's if I'm left to do one thing in my house with parallel parenting and they're going to do something else in the other house, like I'm worried about the safety of my kid. You know that the answer to all of this is be very careful about who you have children with. <laughs> <laughs> because there's only so much you can control. Yeah, And even if the other parent doesn't have as much time as you have with your children, they could still let the kids party on Saturday nights. The legality part of it, Vanessa, is a little bit different and I think probably would be handled a little bit differently. But like staying at the no bedtime, the on screens for a million hours, those are things that that you cannot litigate. 
No mm -hmm. judge is going to issue orders with respect to how many hours of switch time your kids are going to get at each home. That's just I mean, not happening. So if I've had people in tears at keynotes I've given talking about navigating as parents or as step-parents, trying to set boundaries around things like technology or access to pornography, and they are in tears of frustration and anger because the parent that they're parallel parenting with is like completely destroying every effort they're making. And I don't know what to tell them. I mean, there isn't an easy answer. I mean, you know this from some of the people you've had and you've interviewed, like sometimes it takes one parent to show up, one parent to be the attachment figure, one parent to lead. That's the best that you can do. I mean, there is no easy answer. You can certainly go back to court, say, especially if there's illegal stuff. And like, you can imagine during COVID when certain parents were letting parties happen and other parents were masked. And but I mean, the judges got involved in some of that because it was about the safety of children. So there's some that could, but in terms of screen time's like a great example. Social media is a great example. In terms of puberty conversations, Vanessa, I was thinking about this before I came on today. I don't think I've ever had an issue, which is, I mean, not to say that I won't, especially now. Um, just wait. <laughs> where we at least put in writing about what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen, like who's going to have the puberty conversation and, and are they both going to be there? I mean, that issue doesn't seem to come up, at least in writing, but a lot of stuff around social media and other stuff does. If we can, if people can agree, if they can't agree, then you're just going to have as you're going to have to figure out in your own world, in your own room, the best way to handle it and to teach your kids as much as you can about it. But you've got to have had adjacent conversations at some point, uh, like getting birth control, access to birth control, or drug and alcohol use or shaving of legs. Like I can't imagine that it comes down to that, but there are big disagreements. Yeah. Or the about, HPV vex. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we can do an hour right there. <laughs> but the short so, answer is get your kid the HPV vex. <laughs> exactly. well, Thank you, Judge Judge Curl ju Bennett. You mean Judge um, Dr. Curl Judge Bennett? Judge Dr. Curl Bennett. <laughs> okay, so then I think this is the perfect transition to that next group of of you're, 14 you're, questions. Of, <laughs> oh, yes, group, group two, subsection C. You're divorced or you're split and you're, you're separated and you need to take a do-over. So walk us through it. And is, so if, I'm so curious because is puberty and adolescence a time when people often have to like revisit agreements and situations they I wonder had why you asked that, place. Vanessa. It's such a smooth sailing time. <laughs> Because otherwise, it's a walk in the park. There's no conflict. Yes. I mean, the answer to your question, Vanessa, is yes. Like, especially the low conflict people, because if you, and this is, it's much easier to answer on those questions. Like a kid will say, I want to go week on, week off. I, I have all my equipment. I, I don't want to go back and forth too many nights in a row. I want all my homework and all my equipment in one place for the week. And mature parents will say yes. You know, as long as their schedules can permit, you know, there's lots of people who have crazy kind of schedules and they may say, no, we can't do that because of whatever our lives. But that might, probably would have been the same problem if everyone had been intact, right? If they had family and stayed intact. In terms of do-overs, I think that if people can go to mediation, and there's a whole world called parent coordination, which I feel like your listeners either hate or love because it's a, it's a whole niche of experts, some of whom have great experience and some whom may have less great experience. And sometimes those people can really help navigate those questions. So like birth control, or um, I want to put the child in an Uber starting, you know, for practice starting at age 10. Is this going to be an issue? Can we talk about it? How, how can we make everyone feel like they're part of the decision? Everyone wants to be part of the decision. If Families will give a parent coordinator power, sometimes they do, to just make a decision. So a parent coordinator can issue a written recommendation. And we sometimes agree that that written recommendation is going to be the deciding recommendation because sometimes people just need a decision. Mm -hmm. But 
I would like a parent coordinator and like I was gonna 25 say, corners someone, of my life. <laughs> somebody make some decisions for me. But you know, it's an added cost. It's an added yeah. emotional yeah. burden to, to like, oh God, I'm not only do I have my own therapist, my kid's therapist, my job, my kid's school emails. Like now I got to show up for 45 minutes with my ex and do a parent coordination. like And agree please. with what they say. Yeah. Like kill me, right. you know, but it is a place that can feel safer for people who otherwise felt bullied during their marriage, or Mm -hmm. they're dealing with someone who just says, well, no, like the 15 year olds want to party in my house Saturday nights. They get to party in my house Saturday nights. Like you can go and have a more mature conversation. It may not be the result that you want, but at Mm -hmm. least you are having a format to discuss that. Yeah. It's not ideal. I mean, these are, such hard issues, but especially like I think during puberty, when kids start to say, I don't want to go, if you can have a place where you could say, I don't want to go because it's not personal to you, right? Like if we're strong in our relationships with our kids and our egos are strong that our kids listen to us and love us, then hopefully you're going to be able to do some give and take and say, you know what? You want to spend that holiday with dad because he's going to be doing something cool or because his, he has a new kid and it's their birthday and it's some, it's so much, takes so much grace mm-hmm. and so much strength in believing in your own relationship. And I think that's the part I just want to end with is like, I just, I feel for the listeners who are asking you these questions, Vanessa, and I, I know them and they're not great answers. And we could talk about this for four more hours and there are lots of ways to think about it and to handle it. But so much of it comes to like taking the high road, which no one likes to hear and having some grace. And I I think about some examples later that I've had where I've had parents, you know, get remarried and, or their spouses have gotten remarried and had a situation where one of the children became a famous, not famous, but a, a professional athlete. And so that other person's, like the step-parents, whole family became sort of really engaged in that career. And it just takes a lot of grace for the other parent to say like, well, I love that all these grownups are here to mm-hmm. support my kid. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't believe it to sort of mm. let your kid feel that that's going to be okay. That I mean, they're, that's the best thing you can do, but it is so hard. I mean, I always think about Kamala Harris's husband's ex-wife. Like, can you imagine if your ex-husband married the first vice president of the United States? I mean, shoot me. But she handled it with so from what I understand, she handled it with so much grace. Their kids, you know, she was she let the kids all went to the inauguration. I mean, really, that is hard. She's a high road, a minister of high road. We can follow her example. I do want one, because we do get a lot of questions about step parents and the role of step parents or significant others. And I want to end with that, even though, Cara, I think we have to do probably a whole separate episode on that. For sure. Yeah. And I want to end on a positive note. So if this has been super constructive and incredibly helpful, what positive role in this tumultuous journey of splitting up and the tumultuous journey of adolescence, what positive role can a step-parent or significant other play in helping this messy situation kind of move forward? I know we hear all the stories about the negative stuff, and I'm just thinking about when you talk about the power of showing up and having trusted adults and a whole team to cheer on a kid. What's a kind of a good story, a happy story that you can think of where they play a positive role? Well, I think a lot of people now like the word bonus, bonus parent, even if they're not married. That feels like, I don't know, less Disney step sister-ish, step-parent-ish, right? So I think that there's that. There is a lot of research that shows that if you can have kids, including adolescents, feel included, right? It's a family systems kind of theory. That's the same with any healthy family, right? Everyone's attachments are healthy. There's communication. You do activities together. I always think about this, Vanessa, like in that movie Clueless, remember? She says, you divorce wives, not children. Yes. We just rewatched Boyhood with my kids the other night, the Richard Linklater movie. And 
it's all about all of this divorce and blended families. And there's a scene where Patricia Arquette takes her kids out of a marriage, an abusive marriage, and leaves the step-siblings still in Mm. the home with the abusive father. And it's devastating. And my kids were devastated. What like they they had to pause the movie and be like, wait, what is happening? Like they had yeah. to leave the kids in the house. And so yes, the attachment, the sibling, step sibling, bonus sibling attachment is very real. And I'm gonna put a, a positive spin on it instead of a the sad version of it, which is even when you've got a parent who's dating, even if they're not married, but when you've got a parent who's dating and they're dating someone with kids, I mean, I have some very, very close bonds with the kids of people that my mom dated over the years who, you know, they're not formally anything, but, you know, it's like a sibling bond. And there's something really great about that. And there's no name for it. There's no structure around it. I also think that a bonus parent, whether they're married or not, has a very unique, potentially a very unique relationship, right? There are things that our kids will never tell their parents, but they may tell their bonus dad, their bonus mom, an experience at school, a puberty question that they're never going to ask their parents. So in terms of just being open, it's showing up. It's the same thing that you tell regular parents. Show up, fold laundry while they're watching movies, you know, drive them in the car and just get a sense that they're going to be part of it. I mean, you know, some really great stories Vanessa I have are like step parents that ended up taking kids on vacations without the other parent or I hate to use celebrity stuff, but it's helpful just to think about sometimes like the construct, like the JLo, Ben Affleck kind of, that's a real blending, right? Because it doesn't always, not everyone has kids. Sometimes only one family has kids and the other person doesn't, but that is like a, you know, modern like day. Jen Garner blend. taking them to Disneyland. I was like, oh my God, she's was my hero. And now right. she's like really my hero. Right. And that concept that Everyone has a role to fill and you can do fun things and you can have and just you have to make everyone feel included and do things together and work on the relationship just like we do as parents. It's the same thing. And sometimes you won't be your best self, whether you're married or separated or divorced or step. Some days you're just not going to be your best self and that's okay too. And I think that's the other piece and maybe that's the that's the place to stop this conversation because I know for sure we're going to have another. And just to sort of say, having grace is critical, right? I mean, I think that that point that you made is so, so, so important. And yet also giving ourselves permission to be human, equally important. And if there's a way to do it where you keep your kids protected and safe and you keep your drama to yourself, that's the graceful way of doing it because we're not, none of us is beyond having these big feelings and these frustrations and these hurts and all of this. And so it's hard. This is hard. It's so stuff. hard. Like I really want people to remember that like Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't have to worry <laughs> about money, about where she's going to be, where her kid, I mean, nobody can do that. That's, That's right. a myth. I really believe it's a myth. And I think The whole idea of it has, it's an interesting concept to do it amicably and blah, you know, and this whole, we love each other, respect each other. Hopefully you'll get there, but don't expect that of yourself. Let Mm -hmm. yourself be upset about it. It's okay. Yeah. And just the idea that like, there are never too many people to love and support a kid through this process. The pie can be divided in a million ways. And that the more trusted, loving adults there are, the better. And it doesn't have to be just one and they don't have to be their blood relation um, or their original parent, I think is really powerful. Sophie, thank you. Thank you for being my friend, my wise, wonderful friend who's helping so, so many families. We will link to your LinkedIn because Cara and I now know how to do LinkedIn because we're like (laughs) so techie. Because you're authors now, you're famous authors. (laughs) Because we're authors. So we'll link to your LinkedIn. And I actually love your um, Instagram account because it's like all the divorce news. (laughs) Did you post about de Blasio's divorce there? Um, I didn't. I didn't. But I will. I try to keep. I'm. Yeah. 
it's at divorce happens and I don't do it myself. So it's like not so uh, up to date, but, and he's not getting divorced, Vanessa. You need to be careful. They're separating and they're living, and living in home. the same home, but they're yeah. excited to date. Yes. Vanessa, <laughs> we're going to end this podcast so you can go do your reading. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my mouth shut for once. Um, <laughs> so I love you. Thank you for joining us. It was amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was fun. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com yet. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.